The title of this morning's message is The Call of God on Your Life and My Life. The Call of God on Our Lives Together. And over the last 16 months here in this school hall, it's been an absolute privilege to have taken some pictures in my mind of some stories that have played out. Stories in Louis and Alicia's life, story in other people's lives. There was a man singing and, and playing the guitar this morning. He hasn't picked up a guitar. He, there was a five-year gap where, where he stopped playing. Uh, he stopped going to church. And then he, he heard about a, a, ch- a church in a sw- small school hall, and so he started coming, and he started allowing God to breathe new wind into his sails, and, and he picked up that guitar again, and he started saying yes again to the call of God on his life. And then two weeks ago on a Saturday afternoon in that big storm, there was a, a man and his family, they came to do set up here. And uh, his daughter, beautiful matric girl, let's just call her Heather so we don't embarrass her. She was standing around and she said, can I do the decor here on the stage? And so she used her creativity in just saying yes to the call of God on her life. And then her dad was putting out chairs, we'll call him Brett, that's his real name. And, and so he comes up with this brainwave, he says, you know, why don't we just put another row of chairs on the front row here? Because you, you're looking at the screen like this, and you're looking at the words, and it's going to make no difference if you just click back a, a gear and look back. So, and we thought, man, what a brilliant idea. Let's just put another row of chairs in the front. Just a man and his family saying yes to the call of God on his life. And their lives. And then you see the baptism pool happening this morning. What a privilege, Niasha, to be part of your life. But who filled this up? A couple guys yesterday came, filled it up, put our chairs, unpacked that storeroom, got all sweaty. And when we go home just now, there's going to be some others that are going to be pumping the water back into the Jojo, just staying behind, getting sweaty again, packing things into that storeroom, just saying yes to the call of God. And saying yes to Jesus. And you're saying, Daryl, is that it? Is it just once a week on a Sunday fun day that I have to say yes to Jesus? No. No, it isn't. It goes something like this. A story about a man here at Freedom. He goes down to Durban on business. And he's going through a rough time in his family. And in his life. And he's, he's all the way on his own in Durban. And another man from Freedom is also in Durban on business, gets to hear about this man, travels one night all the way from the other side of Durban to go and meet this man who's going through a rough time all alone, far from his wife and family. And he says, I want to take this man out for a pizza and a cappuccino. Just saying yes to the call of God on his life. Saying yes to Jesus. I'll do that for Jesus. But I don't think we understand the full implications of what it really means to say yes to the call of God on our lives. Because sometimes we wait for someone to ask us to do something. And we don't just do something when God impresses something on our hearts, friends. Last week I was standing at the back while the countdown was happening. And there was an ordinary man that walked into church. He does ride a KTM, so maybe he is a bit special. But he, but he came in and he wasn't on chair duty. He didn't get asked to do anything. He just saw, hey, there's a few chairs, there's a pile here, let me unpack them. Just doing something small for Jesus. And then last week, quick story, there's a a husband and wife after set down, all sweaty, standing outside. He says, you know, I've been going to church for years. And they asked me all the time, get involved, do something. I never did. I never put my hand up. He says, but since I've been coming to this church in a hall, I feel like I want to serve. He says, I don't know why. No one's asking me, but I feel like I want to get involved. People just saying yes to the call of of, of God on their lives. And we've done our best here in laying a culture here at Freedom Church where, where we don't have to ask people, where people are just saying yes to Jesus. It's not about who's preaching up front here. 
because it's about us here as a church. And we've got to discuss the we-ness of God. I'm not called. We are called together as a family, doing church together with mates, together. And for that man to reach out to another man on the other side of Durban, we together can do so much more as a family. We're going to do it together, friends. Amen? Amen. This week's story, teacher and his wife, broad daylight, Monday they at school teaching there, townhouse gets broken into, so they, someone gets to hear about it, and so they decide they're going to go and pray for that couple before they go to bed that night. And uh, the, the neighbor next door, an elderly lady, also her house got broken into as well, so they saw pray for her as well. And then one of you also decided, well, I'll go and bless him with a meal. And so they throw in a meal for Auntie Val, their neighbor as well. God didn't put that on your heart, Uncle Rory. God didn't tell you to do that, Cass. That, that person felt led to go and pray. That person felt led to go and give a meal. Just do what God tells you to do. Don't do what, what, what somebody else is doing. Don't try and perform and, and do it. Just do what God has called you to do. And if you do that, God is going to use you to weave a beautiful pattern into his story on your life. An incredible, beautiful pattern. Men in boardrooms, men and women on airplanes, women in corporate companies, together. We're going to do it together. Anyway, it's wonderful to have you. Nice to have you visiting us for the first time. I see you there. I'm going to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19, please. I see a couple of hands going into handbags, which is good. I see a few smartphones being opening. Friends, we've been telling each other, bring your Bible to church. Bring your Bible to church. You're going to need your Bible when you come to church on a Sunday. Wow, this is a training center. It's a training facility. Nice to have you here, my bud. You use that Bible today. I met you once playing touch rugby. Yeah. Use that Bible everywhere. And we're going to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19 together. Easy book, Old Testament, 10th book in the Old Testament. A little rhyme that my daughter taught me. Joshua got judged by Ruth, then Samuel and the kings. Joshua got judged by Ruth, then Samuel and the kings. That'll help you get to 1 Kings 19. I think one of the things we need to remember at Freedom Church, friends, is that we need to keep the emphasis on God. The emphasis cannot be on man. The emphasis cannot be on who's preaching here, cannot be on the band. Emphasis has got to be on God all the time. It's simple. We've got to keep that priority. But I want to challenge myself and I want to challenge you, ma'am. We've got to take a step out of our comfort zones and discover really what is the call of God on our lives. What does he want us to do? And through the years of being in the ministry, I've gone through some, some massive victories and I've also gone through some, some massive vulnerabilities and some massive challenges. It's, it's, be, it's given me some sleepless nights, many more than I had when I was in business with my butt and my dad. Sure, we used to bump heads, but I tell you what, I, the, the ministry is, is a struggle and I lay awake on a Saturday night, not because my wife's telling me that I'm snoring, but I, I wrestle with the fact, hey, what's going to happen tomorrow? I don't find the call of God easy on my life, friends. I want to speak about the victories of, of the call of God, the vulnerabilities of the call of God, and the importance that we have in passing something on to the next generation. And I think the next generation is sitting right here. Manny, I gave my Bible to you, and his girlfriend sitting next to him. I think the next generation is sitting right here. Some of you are saying, but my kids are only in, in primary school. Before you blink your eyes, they're going to be 18. And what have you going to left, given them for their inheritance? 
What are they going to say about you? Well, I remember we used to wake up and we used to go to church in, in our school hall. And I can remember going with my mom and dad to church. Is, is that it? Is that all they're going to remember you by, Adi? Yeah, my mom and dad went to church. Is that it? Or are they, they going to be able to say, you know, I remember seeing my mom and dad living the call of God on their lives. I remember seeing them praying together. I remember them talking about Jesus during the week. Let's help each other fulfill the call of God on our lives, friends. I pray today, Jesus, that through this story about Elijah, you will help us discover the call on our lives. You've spoken to many hearts Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Holy Spirit, there's people here today. I don't know why they're here. You do. Meet them at their point of need. Speak to them in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Kings chapter 19. Some water there for me, Fox. Let's read there. You with me? Yeah, that's good. You with me there, Trevor? So now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. So now for Ahab, his wife, my goodness, to, to give your wife a message, you've got to have a lot of courage. But for Ahab, he needs a lot of courage because his wife is Jezebel. My goodness. And so if your wife's name's Jezebel, you need big courage here to tell her something. He must have been afraid. He goes and tells his wife how Elijah had killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life one of them. This is a hardcore chick, eh? She, she wants Elijah dead. She wants him gone. I think they could have made some movies around the story about Jezebel making sure Elijah got killed. And so Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And the Hebrew word there for ran is actually that Elijah saw and he ran for his life. He saw what was happening. He saw Jezebel and he heard about it and now he's running. I want to ask you today, sir, what have you seen in your life that has made you scared and want to run away? What have, what have you seen? Maybe you've heard and you've seen people talking about you at the office and it's made you feel inferior and insecure and you just want to run away. Maybe you've, you've heard about what people are saying about you, something that they've found out about you and it's made you scared and afraid and you want to run, want to, want to run, want to run away. <coughs> Carry on. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert He's alone. He came to a broom tree. He sat down under it and prayed that he might die. Mrs. Jax, I don't see her here. She's passionate about gardening. I asked her on Wednesday if she can help me buy a broom tree. Can you still get broom trees? And she said, yes. I, at times, want to buy a broom tree. I want to feed it cheat sweets so that it grows big in my garden. And I want to fall asleep and die under my broom tree. And, and, and people ask me, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> Get home. You want to talk about it? No, I'm fine. I don't want to. How's your heart? My heart's fine. Leave me alone under my broom tree. Can you relate to that, Jared? And there's an Afrikaans word. I love it. That Afrikaans language is beautiful. Akas. You ever, you ever feel like that? Leave me alone, man. I just want to, I just want to lie under my broom tree. And, and fall asleep. I've had enough. I've had enough, Lord. Elijah said, take my life. 
I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and he fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he lies down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Say the mountain of God. And I pray that this time, as you've been coming to Freedom Church, maybe it's your first day here, maybe you've been coming for months. I pray that at this time, while you've been coming to Freedom Church, friends, that you would find it a place of being a mountain. A place where we can talk about victories. A place that we can share about our vulnerabilities and the call of God that we all experience. A place that we can be reminded of, of what God's call is over our lives. There he went into a cave And he spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is, a pot, is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake either. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not even in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard this whisper, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Speak louder, Lord. Come closer. Speak louder, Lord. Come closer. Speak, Lord. Come closer. You've got to come closer. God has put times in our lives, friends, Because he wants us to come closer. He wants us to bring our ear closer to his mouth. Speak louder about my husbanding, Lord. Come closer. Speak louder about my business decisions, Lord. Come closer. You got to come closer. Lord, I'm in a mess. Speak louder. Come closer. You can't hear from that far. Then a voice said to him, Not a shout, a voice. A voice says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? Over the years, I've seen many people, myself included, ask God questions. God, what are you doing? God, why is this happening to me? This week, I've spoken to two people. Asking, why is God doing this? Why is God allowing this? One of them says, why is God allowing this to happen to me again? And I look at them and I don't know why. And I think when, when you respond to the call of God in your life, on your life, you've got to stop asking God questions and you've got to allow God to start asking you some questions. He did it in the garden. He says, Adam, where are you, Adam? He's doing this now with Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah. You've got to allow God to ask you questions. 
What are you doing there, Daryl, in that place making yourself vulnerable? What are you doing there in that business deal with shady people? What are you doing with those thoughts in your mind that are going to grow and they become thoughts of fear and depression? What are you doing with those thoughts in your mind? And he's asking Elijah here, what are you doing? He's asking us today through this, what are you doing, Daryl? What are you doing emotionally? What are you doing financially? What are you doing sexually? What are you doing in your state right now? Verse 14. He replies, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenants, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. And also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king of Israel. He has a big one. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Mahoah, to succeed you as prophet. So God wants Elijah here to give over, to hand the mantle over to Elisha. Elisha is going to be the next prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. So 7,000 others also decided, just like Elijah, not to worship the false prophet Baal. Why does God say that to to Elijah? Why does God put that in there, friends? You know why? Because Elijah thinks he's the only oak. He thinks he's the only oak on the planet that is not worshiping Baal. And God reminds him, by the way, Elijah, there's 7,000 others. Take courage, my friend. You're not the only one. God will remind us that there are 7,000 others around us in exactly the same situation. You are not alone. You are not alone. You think you are. And the devil comes and he tries to isolate us and and make us think, oh, you're alone. No one cares about you. No one's going through the same situation as you. Don't allow the enemy to isolate you and to make you think that you're the only one in the situation. That man, all alone in trouble in Durban, God sends another man from freedom. How's that? God wants to remind us, friends, we're in this together. All different kinds of backgrounds, young and old, rich and poor, black and white, educated, uneducated, single, married, and divorced. We're in this together. Amen? So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. Just a few quick points on what I think we can take home today, Freedom Church, to help us discover the call of God on our lives. Elisha's just had this unbelievable victory. You can read about it in the chapter before, chapter 18. It's amazing. He's called on fire from heaven. He's burnt up this, this altar of, uh, that the false prophets, he, this fire's demolished it completely. It's like, man, can you imagine you preaching and you stop this cult dead in its tracks? Boom. I mean, he must be in a ha. And suddenly, Jezebel, you would have thought, starts running because she, don't you think, should be fearful of what's just happened? Friends, the results are not ours. We are not depending on making the results. The results are dependent on God. And that situation, we thought, should have changed Jezebel's heart. It didn't. That's point number one. The results are dependent on God. And you look, if you look at results, friends, you're going to become negative very, very, very quickly. You're going to be discouraged very, very quickly. I think that's what happened to Elijah. He's, he's looking at this thinking, wow, that's what caused him to run. I heard a story about an Irish pastor. He stayed in the middle of two villages, six miles apart. And he spent hours preparing a message that he would preach at eight o'clock in this little village, in this church here. 
And then he would go, and 10 o'clock he would preach the same message in this village over here. And how this church here started to thrive. Converts, people gave their life to Jesus, people got baptized. They planted other churches out. This church, just six miles apart, not one convert. Same anointing, same preaching, same hours of preparation. Different results, friends. I spoke to a lady this week. She shared how she got baptized a few months ago. And ever since she got baptized, she feels like the brakes have been put on her life. There's just so many challenges that she started to face. Freedom Church, the results are not ours. But the call of God is what we have to say yes to. Number one, the results are dependent on God and not us. Number two, the second thing we see in this story, friends, is that Elijah saw and he ran. He saw and he ran. We've got to take our eyes back under the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ. Because our eyes will make us want to run away. Our eyes will make us get scared. Our eyes are the things that are going to get us into trouble, friends. And, and sometimes I look at church on a Sunday, fun day, and I look at, at who's here. Ah, they're here today. Great, great seeing my mates here today. I think that's wrong, friends. I think we need to look and see who's not here on a Sunday. And you're saying, Daryl, that's your job. I come here with my 31.3 cappuccino, sit down. No, 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 friends, it's our job to look around and see who's not here on a Sunday. And I look around and I say, oh, I wish some of my mates were here. I wish that person who's going through something that I'm so burdened for was here today because I really sense God could use this message and, and change. And I can get discouraged, friends. My eyes can, can see who's not here and, and they can cause my heart to become discouraged. All the hours of preparation, all the setup. And I can take my eyes off of what is happening here on a Sunday. How that man suddenly starts saying, I want to get involved here in this family with mates on a Sunday. My eyes can discourage me, friends. It happened with Eve. Remember that story? She saw the fruit that was pleasing to her eye and good to eat and took that fruit. And from that day on, our eyes have been one of the greatest vehicles to completely derail the call of God on my life and your life. And you know, wow, we see things we can't afford. We buy things that we can't afford. And then we live with this gun of debt over our heads. And we can't fulfill the mandate that God has put over our lives. We're shackled by the spirit of this age to look good and feel good. Friends, let's redeem our eyes. Let's redeem our eyes. Job says this in Job 31. He said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a woman lustfully. What do you need to make a covenant with your eyes about? I don't know. Make a covenant with your eyes. Redeem your eyes, friends, so that we can go through these great victories and allowing the blood of Jesus Christ to be over every single aspect of our lives. Amen? And then there's the third point here today. The third thing we see in this story is that living with the call of God in your life is costly. It's going to cost you something. Elijah's tired. Elijah's tired. Story of my brother's friend. He went overseas for a big sporting event this weekend. Gone with some mates. And he says to my butt, he says, you know, uh, I'm going over with these guys, but there's going to be some calls that I've got to make, some, some tough decisions. Not, not, to, not to do that, not to go there. Call of life, call of living with the call of God on your life is costly, friends. It's going to cost you something, friends. We need to affect the city and our group of friends and our mates. But there's a price to pay for that. 
There's got to be a, a cost for that, friends. But I can tell you this, it's worth it. The price that you and I are going to pay, it's worth it, friends. And for everyone sitting here in this school hall that is paying a price in some way or another, I want to say thank you. Because you know what it does for me? In my faith, it encourages me and it stirs my faith that together we as a family are going after the one, paying a price, because that's what Jesus has called us to do. Elijah says, I've had enough. I'm done. Afrikaans echoes. And then he says this. He says, take my life. He says, I'm no better than my ancestors. He's sitting there between his ancestors and Elisha, the next prophet. He's got something from his ancestors, from his past, but he's also got to hand something over to the next generation, to Elisha. And he's thinking, I'm not quite living up to the expectations of my ancestors, but I've still got to hand something over. You you know, friends, maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, Daryl, I've got nothing to give to the next generation. I want to say you have. And it's not about money. And it's not about a will. And it's not about stuff. You've got something to give to the next generation. About six years ago, I met a man in a coffee shop. I have no idea how he got my number. He phoned me and we met. He started telling me that he was involved in a drug syndicate and that he'd stolen a vehicle from a car rental agency. This man was in big trouble. And I remember a black car pulling up, black SUV, big, thinking, what's happening? And this guy got out, this big oak, walked in, sat at the table, and says to this guy, he says, I've been your friend for many years. I can't help you. The cops are looking for you. Turn yourself in. And he puts two cigarettes on the table and he walks out. That man ended up going to jail. And to make it worse, his wife took their two boys and emigrated to Ireland. And I met him two weeks ago at a funeral. And outside he says to me, Daryl, my life changed. He says, I really did get on my knees and ask Jesus to be my Lord. He says, there was a time in my life where I did that, but I wasn't serious. He says, this time I was serious. And he came out of jail. And he says to me, you know, my two boys will remember that their dad went to jail. They'll remember that. But he says, my two boys will not know me because of that. He's changed his life, friends. And he says it was very costly. He says, Daryl, you know, I had to actually go deeper into the hole before I could start climbing out. Friends, it's costly. What a beautiful testimony. And sometimes we get so caught up with our forefathers and what our parents and our grandparents did or didn't do. And then we can become so focused on what we're leaving behind for our kids that we don't do what God has called us to do in our lifetime. Bible says that David served God's purposes in his generation, in his lifetime. And I'm 44 years old now, and I find myself here preaching with mates, doing church here with friends that are real, radical, and relational, and I've got to give it a go. And, and I look at my parents, and I look at other legends who have gone before me, and thinking, Lord, how am I going to do this? I saw Trevor Hudson running in Faramir this week before work. That guy's my hero. I love that guy. And then I look at my mentor, Rory from 3CR, who can stand in the crowd with his Bible open, no notes, and he can read and he can hold people's attention because of the power of the gospel for 50 minutes. I'm thinking, Lord, I can't do that. I don't have what he has. But I think I've got something. And so have you, Kerry. And so have you, Gerard. Jason, so have you, but we've all got something 
Let's just bring something that God has given us and use that for the call of God on our lives. And you know what the problem is? We compare ourselves to others. I'm not going to be good enough. I'm an, I'm an introvert. He, he's an extrovert. Friends, just do what God has called you to do with your life. Don't compare. Don't lose courage because it doesn't look like your life is successful. And you're looking at others. Oh, their lives, they've got it together. They're successful. Don't lose courage. Just be the best electrician. Just be the best car salesman that you can be, that God has made you to be. And don't let the success or failure of your ancestors determine your future. I see some of you sitting here. Some of your family, some of your spouses have made some bad decisions. Some of your moms and dads maybe have made some bad choices. Don't let that affect the future that God has got planned out for you. Don't sit under your broom tree thinking I'm done because of them, friends. I heard a story about a man. His dad and mom had got divorced and he met the girl of his dreams and said, I'm never going to get married because my marriage too will end in a divorce. He put the marriage off for a whole year until eventually they got to the stage of the wedding day and he's standing in the front with the pastor. She hasn't walked down the aisle yet and he whispers to the pastor, get me out of here. Get me out of here. I've got to get out of here. Pastor takes him outside a, a side door and the guitar guy has to play and play and play and play and people are wondering what's going on. And that day, as they stood outside and the voices of the past, fear, anxiety were shouting in his mind, he stood there until something beautiful happened. His father-in-law-to-be got up and walked out and kissed him on the forehead. And as he came back into that chapel, Silencing the voices of anxiety and fear. He got married and today he's a wonderful dad and a super, super husband. He said yes to the call, silencing those voices. What a story, friends. Some of you sitting here got born out of wedlock. Some of you don't know your fathers. I want to say your ancestors will not determine the call of God on your life. Your heavenly father will determine the call of God on your life. And you're sitting there saying, yeah, I I get it, Daryl. Is he your heavenly father? Have, have, you, have you asked him to become your heavenly father? Have you surrendered to him and said, Daddy, heavenly father, I want you to be Lord of my life. This is a very long scripture, friends, but it's a good scripture. Elijah wanted to die. He was a prophet. There was another prophet in the Bible that also wanted to die. His name's Moses. You can read about that in Numbers chapter 11. Moses is done. He's had enough. The Israelites are groaning and mumbling and complaining. And he says, well, that's it. Just go ahead and kill me. He wanted to die. Elijah wanted to die. And maybe you're sitting here also wanting to crawl up under your broom tree and just die. I'll tell you what, friends. Jesus did die. Jesus did die. He didn't want to die. He did die. And so every time you and I want to crawl up under our broom trees and just have enough, remember Jesus who died for you. He did die. He went the full way. He shed his blood for you. Let's get back to our story here. Elijah's very scared now because of Jezebel, my life. He runs out of town, but God doesn't leave him outside of town. What does God do? What does God do for you and I? God will never leave you on the outside, friends. But sometimes God won't allow us to go back into our routine because he's still busy in your life, in your situation. God's still busy now with Elijah. And so he takes him up the mountain first. Friends, mountains are very, very symbolic in the Bible. 
They symbolize something. God takes him up to this mountain called Horeb. When we're under pressure, when we're really taking strain, God takes us back to the place where he can remind us of what he said for us, friends. Takes us back to the mountain. And the problem that I have is when I get confused with the call of God on my life, sometimes I end up saying yes to the things that I should say no to. And I end up saying no to the things that I should say yes to. Friends, that's what happens when we get confused. I pray today that as you sit under the word of God today, God is going to help you remember the things that you should say yes to and the things that you should say no to. Just go back to the mountain and allow God to speak to you again. God brings us onto this mountain so that we can sort things out in our lives. And sometimes when God brings us onto this mountain, it's hard. It's hard to climb up a mountain. It's painful. And and there's suffering. It's tough to get up to that mountain. What has God called you to? Can I ask you today? Just come back to the mountain so that you can hear the whisper. The whisper. Not far away. Not hundreds of voices. The whisper. What is it, Father? I've called you to this. There's 7,000 others in the same position. Don't feel lonely. Don't feel isolated. It's tough. But there's 7,000 others with you. And while you sit at that engineering company turning out the next project, while you go and repair that next roof, while you teach that pupil in your class, just remember the whisper. The whisper of God. There's a whole lot more to the mountain in the Bible, friends. There's another story, Matthew 17. Don't turn there. Jesus takes three of his disciples up this very high mountain. Say very high mountain. It's a very high mountain. Guess who these three are? The scaredy cats from last week. The guys who had no faith. They were petrified. They thought they were going to die. Peter, James, and John. They've been on a journey, on a faith journey. Jesus takes him up this very high mountain. And guess who's there? Moses is there. I don't know how that works. Elijah's there. And Jesus is there, shining brighter than the lot of them from the inside out. There's this bright light that's shining from him. Friends, Friends, the light of Jesus, the one who whispers, will shine brighter than any circumstance, than any situation that you are going through. But you've got to go up the mountain. You've got to go up the mountain. And I know it's hard. I know some of your stories. I know it's tough, but let's together walk up the mountain. Because when we walk up the mountain, it doesn't matter how you feel. Tired, weary, you've had enough. You know what happened on the top of that mountain? There was a voice from heaven that said, this is my son whom I love. And then it says the very next verse, listen to him. Listen. He's not going to shout. He's going to whisper. He wants you close. Is it going to be easy? No. It's going to be tough. It's going to cost you something. But allow God to take you up that mountain, friends. There might have been distance as you climb. There might have been wandering as you climb. There might have been compromise while you climb. But just listen to the voice of the one that shines brighter than any of your situations. And I pray today that as we've looked at this story of Elijah that he and this story and God will remind you that you and I are called by God so that we can walk consistent lives, friends, whether we're lawyers, teachers, architects, businessmen, or car salesmen, so that when you get to handing over something to the next generation, 
you can do what God has called you to do. In Jesus' name.